uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians. And today, uh, we will hear chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. And this is, of course, part of Paul's um, extended discussion, but we listen with our, our capacity, which may be, be small, but we, we listen and we receive. So hear the word of God. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Please offer prayer with me. Lord, you have sent your Son, and as you have delighted in him before, since before the foundation of the earth, we join with you saying, glorify him. As he is our Savior, as he has rescued the world, as all will come together and go on forever, in joy and wholeness. Glorify your Son. You sent him for sinners to rescue, to comfort, even to glorify them with himself. And we come in that need. You stoke that expectation and we ask that you would use the preaching of your word that you would treat us as your son deserves, that we would make much of him where we live by making much of him at all. Pray in his name. Amen. Christians, listen. Do not soak your hearts in discouragement by attempting to obey promises that God has already fulfilled. Enjoy His fulfillment and obedience will make sense. There is high talk about godliness and holiness that will only make you miserable. But Christ has come for you to have confidence and joy. Christian, here again. Do not soak your heart in discouragement by attempting to obey promises that God has already fulfilled. Paul is not giving you good religious advice. He is unfolding a conclusion from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus has removed your guilt by dying on the cross. Jesus has set you free from sin's tyranny by rising from the dead. 
By faith in Christ, you are righteous and emancipated. And Paul says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. The specific and complex and everyday ordinary laws given through Moses are rejected for the Christian life. In the Protestant Reformation, this was a powerful proof text. Much of the corruption of European Christianity at that time was justified as following the patterns of Moses. The Lord's Supper was taken as an actual sacrifice. Not finished the Lord's work. The fast of Advent and Lent and fish on Fridays rested on Old Testament food laws as a pattern. The church calendar structured worship in the life of Christians just like the Old Testament feasts and celebrations. Now that was 500 years ago. Why would this matter now? It matters. Because a fundamental issue in the Christian life is whether you will be discouraged and how you can be confident. Not just low anxiety or sufficiently distracted, but commonly and ordinarily confident in God's love towards you, in your salvation. Not that he is loving, but that he loves you. You need to not soak your heart in discouragement. Like the Colossians, you don't live in a bubble. There were religious influences, some in the background, influential, some in their face and very challenging. In Colossae, there was a, a vibrant mix of Old Testament teaching and Greek Hellenistic philosophy. And those very religious and very smart people called other people, Christians included, to obey food laws and the calendar of Moses. Now, how did these overeducated, very traditional people accommodate these laws when they lived so far from Jerusalem? How did their profound insight change these laws in the philosophical practice? We don't have those specifics. But we know the taste of their influence on the Christians. The discouragement of being not a good enough Christian. The pressure of needing to catch up with the program. Here's Paul's actual command. Let no one pass judgment on you. Paul's not correcting the Jewish philosophes. As they say, haters going to hate or judgers going to judge. Paul addresses you. Christian, don't let them do this to you. Don't let your Mormon neighbors, don't let the passionate guy on the Christian radio show, don't let the ideas that seem so obvious all around you, but you hear contradicted in the scriptures, and you hear contradicted in the worship, do not let them be passed off to you. Okay, don't let them do what exactly? Fool you? into agreeing with their bogus view of God and godliness. Don't let them convince you that forgiveness is wonderful, but you are really just on parole. Almost forgiven as long as you don't screw it up. Don't let them convince you that God is ticking off the community service hours. So excited 
for when probably your pardon will be actually effective. Do not let religious fools and foolish religion, even quoting the Bible, persuade you that you aren't a good enough Christian until you do X, Y, and Z regularly and well and with just that right something down inside. You must not soak your heart in discouragement. If you do, it might be Oprah's brilliant idea, but it will be your problem. Now, I've made indirect reference to the Roman Catholic Church, so I want to cut off a distraction. It would be very easy to take from this passage an accurate and heartless criticism of the Roman Church. Accuracy is important, I don't want, but I don't want to give you an accurate stick for poking Roman Catholic acquaintances. This is about discouragement. Now, you, you likely need some time to know the differences between the Westminster Confession of Faith and Catechism and the official catechism of the Roman Catholic Church. But I can right now tell you from Paul a prime piece of compassion for your Roman Catholic friends. Paul says that the Roman Church's approach can make Christian faith fundamentally wearisome, fundamentally anxious, and fundamentally never quite ever being a good enough Christian. I don't want to give you a stick to poke people like that. I want to give you a cup of cool water to share with them. If you can learn from Colossians how to resist this machinery of discouragement, then you can become a source of refreshment for people weighed down by all sorts of religious failure. Sometimes they are Presbyterian. Sometimes they are Roman Catholic. Sometimes they are people who have not yet believed in the Lord Jesus Christ despite having believed all kinds of things. We live in the Bible Belt and people have been whooped with it. If we have refreshment in Christ, we need to share it. So listen, Christian. Don't soak your heart in discouragement by attempting to obey promises that God has already fulfilled. Or as Paul puts it, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. What are these laws? Is Paul really dismissing them? Are these just weird, irrelevant Old Testament leftovers? What does this have to do with being encouraged? First, what are these laws? These phrases are stereotypical first century terms referring to the holiness code found in the book of Moses. These are laws about ceremonial clean, clean, cleanness and uncleanness, about everyday, ordinary consumables. Famously, you can't eat barbecue, you can't eat shrimp. And there are also laws about holy time, not just the weekly Sabbath, but a cycle of monthly observances, week-long celebrations, specific high holy days, a whole rhythm of the months of the year. Israel had to eat like this every meal. They had to shape work 
and family like this every month, every year. Three times a year, think about this, all the adult males had to leave town, had to travel to Jerusalem, be it a morning or a day or a week, most people walking. These are the most ordinary, ordinary laws of life. Now think about trying to get rid of these laws. They are so ordinary, they're everywhere in life. What? Don't shake hands. There <laughs> people all day doing this. Don't say God bless you if someone sneezes. Don't use salt and pepper. Uh, no more briefs, only boxers. You know what? The first day of the month doesn't matter anymore. Just don't, don't, it's not even, okay, you can count it. It's not the day that you remember this happened at the new moon. No more of the three times a year away from home. No, that Cecil the Booth, not anymore. I know. Yahweh said the Passover is perpetual, but no, I'm not going to do that. It's done. And that is what the New Testament church did. It was the largest controversy of the early church, and they did it. Christians don't keep the law of Moses. Jewish Christians were allowed to practice the law as a kind of holy heritage, but they couldn't expect anyone else to keep it, and they couldn't get snooty about it. Stop obeying Moses after 1,400 years? Really? Yes. And in this passage, Paul is saying that you need to follow this logic because if you don't, you will cultivate discouragement in your life. You'll make Christian faith into a bleak business that never expects to earn any profit and is always keeping track of what the tax bill will be come April. I'll repeat from Paul. Do not attempt to obey the laws given to the nation of Israel because the Lord Jesus Christ has in fact come and worked salvation. There is no waiting left. Paul in this day was accused of despising God's law. You can see that slur happen, how it happened, and how he swatted down the lair of the Romans. In, in the European Reformation, the reformers were accused of saying, essentially, I believe in Christ, so I can live like the devil. That was a slur, too. I know it was a slur because I worked in evangelical Christian school. And one of the most offensive things I could do would be to show people what the Westminster Confession of Faith does with the Ten Commandments. It says obey the Ten Commandments. And here are the most elaborate details you didn't know there was many, this many verses in the Bible to do with any of these things. All of this very clearly about what it means because we're going to do this. I, I told you not to poke him with a stick. And I'm not wanting to poke him with a stick, but I, I, I criticize the Roman Catholic Church. I'm here saying 
the Protestant Reformation, they got that right. Well, we don't live 500 years ago, and it's well worth asking, does Christianity look like I love Jesus, I can, look like, I can live like the devil when you look around? A lot of places, I think it does. And that's not what Paul is after. That's not what Paul is wanting. That essentially is one of the ways that profound discouragement can take you over. People who say, I believe in Christ, and I will live like the devil, they do not believe that he has set them free. They do not, they do not taste this great emancipation. Do not soak your hearts in discouragement. If Paul doesn't reject God's law, and he doesn't, what is going on here? So were these some kind of, pardon the expression, special stupid laws? Just like pretend laws for illustrating that laws aren't that important. Are they obviously super stupid picky laws telling us not to be picky, not precise? What are these laws? Food and time. This is not weird. Food and time are not pretend. Food and time are as fundamental as anything in your life. Food and time... Both are central in the creation of the world. In Genesis chapter 1, food and time are both central gifts. The plants to eat and heavenly bodies, quote, as signs for seasons and days and years. Do farmers need a calendar? Do you need farmers? I know we keep the lights on all the time. But time, and the seasons. It's a great gift to know what to do now so that we can have a feast in three months. Food and time, they also both show up as commands in the creation story. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the establishment of the seventh day is a blessed day set apart for rest. It is not strange for God to make laws about food and time. Nor is it irrelevant. Sometimes people suggest that the Old Testament was earthly and the New Testament is heavenly. These people basically say that God doesn't care what you do with time and space and gross physical matter. Love and truth and God stuff are all that matters now. Really? It's not surprising that these folks usually have dismissed the Lord's Supper as an empty ceremony. It's also not surprising that if you talk with many of these folks, and, and I am thinking broadly of that uh, vague term evangelical, when you ask these folks about worship on the Lord's Day as a Christian duty, they are likely to say, all of life is worship. And you can't put the spirit in a box. You don't, you, you, you don't honor God by being in a particular place at a particular, particular time. Okay, just think about it. It's the Lord's Supper. It's the Lord's Day. Maybe that doesn't seem very spiritual. Um... But obviously, and pardon the term, it's very Jesus-y. That man 
who is a man now, who invites us to his meal to eat and drink. That man, who when he wanted to be understood, when he wanted people to see what he was doing, he said, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's not the Lord of figments and things that expire. So, why does Paul dismiss these commands? Now, primarily, and as Paul is speaking to the Colossians, it is because God doesn't want you distracted from the gospel, does not want you discouraged from living with confidence in Christ. But why does it make sense not to obey Mosaic commands? These are shadows of the things to come. These commands are also promises. So, so think about it. You know someone is coming down the hall before you ever see him because you see his shadow. He's still around the corner. But you know he's coming because you see his shadow. How do you react to that shadow? Oh, you get up off your duff and you wait for him to make it around the corner and find to you at the end of the hall. You are not waiting for the shadow. You're waiting for the friend. You don't call out to the shadow, you can see. You call out your friend's name because he's there, even if you can only see the shadow. The Mosaic commands and the keeping of them were a demonstration of what God promised to accomplish. If you continue to obey these commands, you are pretending that God hasn't already fulfilled his promise. If you continue to obey these commands, you are ignoring your friend who has arrived and you're engaged in some sort of weird pantomime with the shadows. The Jewish philosophes in Colossae are keeping the food laws on the calendar because they do not believe that Jesus is God's promise fulfilled. Now think about yourself, Christian. If you have to obey God until he gives you salvation, do you think you'll persist persevere and perform whatever is necessary to the point of finally being saved? If you think that all you have is commands from God and promises that are no bigger than those commands, you aren't waiting for God to rescue you from drowning. You are fighting to keep your head above water until he can come and help you pull yourself out of the drink. But just don't go under a third time before he shows up. Do you see what I mean? I do not soak your heart in discouragement. If you think that God loves you, but he hasn't done the big deal with you yet, do you have a reason to expect more than just going through the motions until then? If you're a believer, but you're waiting for God to demonstrate his love to you in the most unmistakable way, how much grim determination do you have until that bright day? Paul says to you, don't soak your heart in discouragement by attempting to obey promises that God has already fulfilled. Enjoy his fulfillment, and obedience will make sense. 
Those are the shadows, but the substance belongs to Christ. Your attention is no longer on the shadows because of the substance making them is in front of you. But it's not some mysterious, nondescript, whatever that is, substance. As usual, the King's James Version in its literalness is far clearer. Which are the shadows of things to come, but the body is of Christ. There's a word in Greek that you use for substances and distinct things. This is the word you use for a person's body, legs and arms and hair, and you can touch it. Those are the shadows. But he himself is the fulfillment of God's saving promise. He who knows and cares for you is the reason to stop obeying the Mosaic law. It is this simple. The food laws and the calendar laws show you that God will replace your apparent obedience and your unmistakable disobedience with the incarnate, eternal Son. Those are the shadows. And He is here now, standing in the open light. And notice, in Paul's phrase, He isn't the light. He is a solid body, blood, muscle, and bone. He is not an idea of salvation that you understand and repeat. He is not a new law, an example or exercise that you must complete. He is not even a vision of God's glorious attributes and divinities, a display that God is both truly, accurately good and faithful. No, he is a man, a body. He is the eternal Son who was born, lived, died, rose, and rules. Salvation was promised. Salvation has come. There is nothing for you to do. He came and did it. This is your confidence. This is where you start. Every single ordinary day. Every day is a day we hoped would get here. He is sustenance, the refreshment you need three times a day, and he is here. Believe in him, and everything he provides is yours. Really, you don't have to do something first. Faith precedes Christ, the whole Christ. The victorious for sinners, Christ. You are saved by faith alone, not because faith is powerful and weighty, but because the Savior has come and the Savior has done. And it is this man who got out of the office and rules all things. Pray with me. To glorify your son. Glorify him. We so want to relish, and we confess that there is so much better in common than we have taken up. And we ask that you would enrich us and that you would make us 
a real gleam of your son's glory for others. Make us a source of refreshment and not discouragement. Glorify him. Show his salvation. Let the shadows be dispelled. We pray in your name.